Welcome to the Real View podcast, where Ohio realtors connect you to innovators and influencers, keeping you with the real view of real estate. Whether you're a broker, agent, first time home buyer, industry leader, or just happen to stumble upon our podcast today, you can expect to hear tips, tools, tricks, interesting information, and so much more from the experts in Ohio's real estate game. Hi, everyone. Welcome to today's episode of the Real View podcast. I'm your host, Allison Wiley. With me today is our very special guest. We are running a series spotlighting influential and powerful women in real estate. And who better to have on with us today than Annie Hannah Engel. She is the president at Howard Hannah Insurance Services and chief legal officer at Howard Hannah Real Estate, as well as a third generation member of the Howard Hanna family. Annie, thank you so much for joining me today. Allison, thank you so much for having me. And um, hi, everyone. Hi, yes. We're so excited to have you on today and share some amazing stories of your success in real estate, how women can be and find the same success that you have, as well as talk a little about a bit about your family history. So we're really excited to dive into all of that. But first, let's start with our signature question that we ask all of our guests who join us on the podcast, which is what is the best view that you've ever seen? So lots of great views in my life. And I thought a lot about this question, but it, of course, um, it probably causes a lot of stumbling for many of your guests. Yes. <laughs> the travel that you've done, or, you know, do you want to be metaphysical in this, in this, um, but I'm going to go with the cliche for somebody in real estate. And that is the view from and of my home, my house. And that's when my family and friends are there, whether they're inside or out, Seeing and being together probably is the best view that I ever have any day. I love that. Sometimes, and I think, you know, if we've came out of the pandemic with anything, it's to appreciate those little moments and especially those moments at home and to not take those for granted because that's certainly been most of our lives for the past couple of years uh, during the COVID shutdown. So I love that too, you know, and, and sometimes I think about if I was to ever answer that question, what would mine be? And I think that I would say the same. I think that it would be just having a glass of wine on my couch with my pets after a long day, you know, that's kind of just peace. And I think it says a lot when you're able to enjoy the little things. So yeah, and take a you. breath. You can take a breath and yeah, enjoy. Yeah. And, and where else do you feel the most comfortable if it's not in your own home? So yeah, I, I love that. And I love the simplicity of that. So thank you so much for sharing. So Obviously, as we mentioned, you are a third generation member of the Howard Hanna family. Your whole life has been real estate. So it's it's funny. I, I always ask our guests, you know, how did you get involved in the real estate industry? How, you know, tell us about your background. And yours has been, I mean, since day one, you have had something it's to true. do <laughs> something to do in this industry. So Tell us a little bit about that growing up, um, your childhood, your involvement in real estate at a very young age and working with your grandfather. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, you know, obviously I do come from a real estate family. I didn't, I didn't understand that most families didn't talk about business all the time when I was growing up. So even, you know, I think what I shared with you at another conversation was I even remember my mother going out with agents when she was an office manager to present offers live back when that happened at like 10 or 11 o'clock at night. And, you know, in 
one of the agents uh, had a daughter who would babysit us. Would She would show up. Her mother would pick my mother up. They would go to the seller's house, present the offer, or they'd go meet with the buyer and present the counteroffer. I didn't know this babysitter, you know, probably for four or five years because I was always asleep. But it was totally natural to me that my mother would leave our house at nine o'clock at night with a real estate agent to go and help present an offer. I just thought that was normal. I thought it was normal that people went and looked at... Uh, open houses on Saturdays and Sundays and visited their peers. Like, I thought that was a thing people, people <laughs> did. Um, of course, you know, we know that people do that, but I, I didn't like my uncle would just pile a bunch of kids in the car and we'd go and look at houses or my grandfather definitely would do that. So um, I just thought that was a normal part of life. And as growing up, I think we all really understood that we had to get our real estate license. It was just a natural course of things, whether we, you know, my uncle went right into the business. My mom and my aunt took a little bit of a quick detour educationally and, you know, we're going to do two very different things and then came into the business. So I think we all understood that even if we weren't going to go into the business, this was part of what life was. So you know, we did that. And I got my first broker's license in Florida with my grandfather when I was like, you know, 21. I think it was the first broker's license that I could get. And I took my classes, but he and I took our tests together in Panama City, Florida in November. I might have been 22, fairly. But the only restaurants open in Panama City, Florida in November in whatever it was, 1993, were with Hooters for breakfast, <laughs> lunch, and dinner. And... <laughs> You know, my grandfather and I enjoyed many a many a Hooters meal while we were taking our broker's test, which there's nothing wrong with that. But it, nobody goes to Hooters with their grandparents. I mean, right? I guess somebody could. I did. But I do. I do really, really strongly remember he was very, very concerned that I wasn't going to pass the test because I I was I finished it really quickly and he wasn't done. And he was completely stressed out. And of course, I would was in college. I'd just taken my LSATs. I was in the groove of taking tests. That was my, <laughs> this was my deal. Yeah. And fortunately I did pass because then when he was upset with me, I thought, well, whoa, gosh, what if I failed this? That'll be embarrassing. But, you know, it permeates every part of our life. And in a sense, I think that that is probably has a lot to do with um, some of our success too, that we know that we know that housing, whether it's uh, a sale or, or, any type of housing for all Americans is is really incredibly important. And so maybe that's what, what uh, lends to all of our success. And yeah, the success of all of those that we work with. I mean, the Howard Hanna family isn't just, you know, the 20 of us. It's it's everyone in, in every state that we work with. Absolutely. And, and speaking of states, I know that you and your grandfather also have some Ohio roots. Is that correct? That you are not a foreigner to the great state of Ohio and um, certainly have had lots of time spent in this state as well. Tell us about that. But that That is true. A lot of people probably think that Howard Hanna just came to Ohio in 2003 with the Smythe Kramer company. but And that is indeed when my cousin Hobie moved to Ohio. Go West, young man was our theme, right? It was very far <laughs> away, two hours. But no, in fact, my grandfather had been the president of the Home Builders Association in, in Ohio long ago. His parents had transferred. His father worked for Jones and Lachlan Steel and had transferred to Ohio and lived in Shaker Heights. Um, I even sent one of my children to college in Ohio. He goes to Kenyon College. But um, awesome. so 
we have many different connection points to Ohio, and that's um, probably why it's also very, very special to us, aside from its bordering state. But Yes, absolutely. And um, I love about that Shaker Heights. And I didn't know this until I watched the Big Little Lies show. But it was the first actual planned community in the country, which was actually kind of interesting and cool. And I wonder what role real estate played in that community. Isn't that so interesting? Yeah, I, I think obviously it lent itself to that story, right? Yeah. And it's, you know, it's not Stepford, right? We know it's not that, but... Yes. <laughs> and it's interesting that I think one of the reasons that my grandparents did end up there was... They lived in a town in Pittsburgh called Mount Lebanon, which was not a planned community, but very similarly had houses that were, a lot of them were were Sears and Roebuck houses that were brought in. And so I think it was a very familiar area to them. And that is very interesting. But when I lived in Connecticut, right, I grew up playing um, lacrosse and field hockey with Western Reserve Academy, or they were our rivals for my school in Pittsburgh. I never really bothered to think about what that was until I got to Connecticut and everything in that area of Ohio looked like Connecticut, right? I, I think yeah. it was the, I didn't know which came first, but certainly there's that uh, interesting connection too. So. Yeah, there is. And my, my wheels are turning now. I'm like, that would be, that would be a really cool podcast topic to talk about planned communities. Planned communities and the, yeah, yeah. and the role, the role of real estate, but it was, yeah. you know, certainly there were, there were different Developments are different today, but maybe not in so many ways. That's true. Yeah. See, wheels are spinning. Right, right. No, that's a great topic. You got to work on that. (laughs) Thank you. So I know that real estate obviously has been in your life since an extremely young age, but there was a point in time where um, you maybe wanted to explore a different career path or try something a little bit different. And you ended up eventually getting your law degree. So tell us about that process, what kind of was going through your head at that time and why maybe you wa- you wanted to make that switch. Well, I think even though I had all these licenses in different states, I I think I always told people I was going to be a lawyer. Like from the time I was little, little little. And so I did after college, I went and I worked for a senator in Washington and while I was there, I took the LSATs and I you know, knew I was going to law school. So I came back to Pittsburgh and I did that. And I took a job at a firm here and I got married during that time period. And lo and behold, in my first year of practice, towards the end of the first year, my husband announced that we were moving to Connecticut. (laughs) And um, I was like, oh, okay. Um, Okay. (laughs) Didn't think that was part of my plan. Um, So I had been in practice doing litigation and I, we moved to Connecticut. I worked for, um, a law from there that I thought was the pinnacle of being a young associate, being a, a young lawyer, and I hated it. I hated it so much. It just was not for me. The partner, fortunately, who I worked for uh, noticed that and suggested that um, there was a program that I could take at the University of Connecticut Law School in insurance law to get a master's in insurance law. And I was like, oh, that sounds great. That's <laughs> exciting. Um <laughs> But I was like, good, I'll go back to school. I was good at school. Yeah. And, it'll, so, and, and I can leave here every day at five to take my night classes. So fortunately, I did that, right? Life is not a straight path. I did that. I ended up actually accepting a job at the law school in the insurance law center, which gave me the opportunity also to teach uh, insurance law and insurance governance and work with incredible people like 
insurance commissioners from Illinois, insurance commissioners from Connecticut. Connecticut's supposed to be the insurance state. And just really interesting people who were already lawyers who were in the insurance industry approaching things from a very different perspective. And then a lot of international students came to that program too. And I really loved that time. And then lo and behold, about six or seven years later, my husband came to me again and said, hey, we're going back to Pittsburgh. (laughs) And so we did. And that was 17 years ago. We've been back. And when we moved back, I didn't really know what to do. I knew I didn't want to go back to a law firm. And I, I had two young children at that time. And, you know, I tried to find a job teaching at a law school, but in Pennsylvania is not the insurance law state. Um, There are very few insurance law classes that are taught or any part of a curriculum at any law school here in Western Pennsylvania. So I, in fact, didn't do a lot for the first year. I did. I spent time with my children. I spent time with my grandmother, which was a really unique opportunity for me. Yeah. She passed away the next year, but I was with her almost every day. Yeah. And uh, if I had stayed in Connecticut, I wouldn't have had that. So I think it gave me some perspective, though, on being back and part of my family. It was like a slow roll back into the family. Yeah. And I went I went to my aunt. Um, it's my mother, my aunt, and my uncle um, are all in the second generation. And we do a role that we don't report to our own parent. So I went to – I had been doing some work with my uncle on – history and some things like that, getting a a name in front of uh, the street in front of our first office named Howard Hannaway. So little things I was dipping my toe into. And I went to my aunt and I said, I want to come back and I want to come back as legal counsel. And I, you know, I think this is an opportunity. And so I had to work on a plan. I mean, it wasn't, hey, come on in. Yeah, it wasn't a given. It was still, you still had to, you know, prove almost yourself in a way. Exactly, exactly. That was something that we hadn't really had as a role in Pittsburgh. Other companies that we had acquired had had that. So I, you know, I came on board in 2005. Of course, I promptly reported to my new boss, who's my aunt, (laughs) that I was expecting a baby again. (laughs) And, you know, I think like great and hard conversations happen within our family. And, you know, her recommendation was your head really has to be in this. If you don't, if you don't think you want to be here, let's stop now. Um, and I, I knew that I wanted to be, I mean, it wasn't, I was glad that she brought that up to me, but I knew that I wanted to be. So fast forward now, almost, you know, 15 or 16 years later, and here we are. And, you know, it's been not a straight line and I don't think anyone's career path is, nor should it be because you won't discover really great and wonderful opportunities. And that's really part of life. This episode of The Real View is brought to you by the Ohio Association of Community Colleges. Ohio's network of community colleges provides accessible training that accommodates the busy lifestyles of aspiring real estate professionals at half the price of a traditional university. With convenient locations in every part of the state, as well as online options, Ohio's community colleges are your smart choice for pre-licensing education. For more details or to start the journey to a real estate career, Visit the education page at ohiorealtors.org and then click on the pre-licensed course locations. 
Absolutely. So you're right. And wow, it certainly worked out. And, um, you know, when your aunt had told you that, are you serious about it? I think now so many years later that proves you were definitely serious about it and wanted to be here um, with so many years invested into the company. So tell us a little bit about what you do now on a day-to-day basis. And um, what are some of the trends you're seeing in today's market? We all know some of the challenges that our realtors and our members deal with on a day-to-day basis with, you know, the lack of inventory and, you know, these crazy um, (laughs) terms that Mm -hmm. we're settling on contracts. So tell us a little bit about what are some of the things that you're seeing? What are some of the advice that you're giving to, you know, some realtors out there? Tell us a little bit about that. Okay, sure. So my day-to-day, I have many hats, right? Our insurance agency and risk management, you know, is run by some really incredible people and we have great people there. And on the legal side, that takes up a lot of my time, warranty, but a lot of my time, regardless of what, where, you know, where I'm straddling and what office I'm sitting in is talking to managers, is talking to our regional team, are talking to um, people at insurance or mortgage or barristers too. And we have, you know, we, we have a lot of great lawyers who work for us within, throughout the company as well, but because they're with the unique pieces of transactions or the market that are that are coming today. So yes, we know inventory is a challenge in crazy terms. Crazy, crazy. terms. I was I was told um, a few months ago I had asked sort of that question, what what new way did you what new, was your new approach to a a deal? And I had an agent say, oh well, they were offering cash. And I said, well, if you really want to enrich your offer, and it's it was for a four hundred thousand dollar house. Why don't you make your earnest money, your escrow money, your deposit money, 100% of the purchase price? Wow. Right. Up front. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you know, I mean, I think that says a lot, right? Yeah. It says you're really interested in the house. You are the buyer. Yeah. And the buyer looked at, looked at the agent like the agent was had lost their complete <laughs> mind. Yeah. Um, but I, I think the point that it gets to is that, you know, in... There's so much, there's so much online that our buyers and sellers can find. They, you know, they, they hear that there might be these nuanced ways they can get the deal and they don't really understand maybe what that means for the entirety of the transaction. So the agent wasn't being playful. They really were saying like, if you're going to do a cash offer and you have all this cash, bring it all in with the offer. No holding back in this market. No holding back in this market. Terms, the, the term that I think is worse, can be the worst right now is um, when people waive a home inspection, not really understanding what the impact could be. Yes. Um, or yes. waive a home inspection and then later go back to the seller and say, oh, but I want to have a home inspection even there, if there's no contingency. That needs to be communicated up front. We will waive the home inspection. We know the home is as is, but we'd like to prepare. So we're going to have a home inspection. Don't worry about the terms. You know, sometimes sellers and listing agents get nervous about that too, though, because they want to know, well, what happens with that home inspection if if the buyer walks away? Yeah. The, other, uh, the other crazy thing is buyers who just think that they can walk away from the transaction and get their earnest money or their deposit money back. Yeah. Like two days was, before closing. 
Right. And, you know, we just had this conversation in the office the other day about that buyer's remorse. And we're seeing so much more and more houses that go into contract and then they're back on the market like three days later. I think because of exactly what you're talking about, you know, the, that, you know, initial it's so crazy in the terms that they're having these buyers are having to put forth and then maybe they, you know, think a few days later and say, is this really the best thing for well, me? Sometimes they've found another house too. Like sometimes yeah. they just wanted the win because the inventory is so low. So sometimes yeah. they found another house. Now that can backfire. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying, I'm talking about, you know, I do think that that has been in our industry for some time. I'm talking about two weeks before closing, a week before closing, a couple of days before closing and Recently, I talked with an agent who I ended up speaking to the buyer because the buyer, two weeks before closing, decided that she was going to walk. She thought she was getting her $50,000 in deposit money back because in the other part of the state, she had heard that that was something that happened. I don't know who told her that, but that I can't imagine that's ever the case unless the seller's just gotten so much more money <laughs> with a backup offer. Right. But she was adamant that that's what she was told. And then she actually asked our agent to, she had found another house, right? And in the other house, she had a home inspection contingency. She had asked the agent to put in the termination clause that she was, um, her, she had a change in financial situation. And in this particular agreement, that is a potential reason that a buyer could terminate and have their hand money back. Buying another house is not the change in ter- in, in financial situation that right. the contract anticipates at all. Yeah. And I get that, you know, I like the creativity. I'm a lawyer, but I was like, no, that's bad faith also. Yeah. Nice try. So, there, nice try. But... And of course, lo and behold, the home inspection for house number two came back and I had to beg the buyer to do a little bit of a mea culpa to seller number one to allow her to go forward with, with the transaction and close. So I think everything is so fast and we all need to to take a pause. One of the things that you know we all see are different tools that agents have. And there are so many tools out there. Appreciating what they do and what they don't do, I think is really important for all of us, even outside of the real estate industry, that too many overlapping apps to help you transact real estate. Let's get back to what I talked about before at the very beginning, my mother going and presenting offers as a manager with her agents who needed that face-to-face support. So I do think we need to remember you know, the trend to every fast business. Fast business is how we think everything should happen, but it is, this is a really big transaction for people. And that's why we're real estate professionals. That's why we're realtors. So taking that time to really work with your clients, but also your peers, your co-brokes, your peers in your office is so, so important. And I do see people really slowing down a little bit and thinking about what's in the contract after they've been through a very difficult situation. I don't see it enough probably, but you know, I think we have that in our society overall, but you know, innovation should not take the place of our professionalism. Yeah. I know you've talked too about just the importance of communication and the, the importance of, you know, always staying in touch with each other, especially from, you know, agent to agent and just keeping those lines of communication open and not forgetting, you know, like you said, we almost get so wrapped up in technology and we're able to do so much on our phones without even needing to speak to another human being these days, but just taking it back to the basics and, and what you saw your mother doing and remembering kind of where we came from and, and, you know, how this industry really 
got itself started was with those face-to-face interactions every day and that nonstop communication. Yeah. And through COVID, it's been very hard. And I mean, we launched some things in COVID and some of them we launched six months early because they were necessary for the time. So uh, this is not a an anti-innovation <laughs> preach by any means, but this is certainly the importance of the human connection within our industry is it's kind of why we're all here. Right. And so I, that's really, really important and working, you know, we're all working hard to get to closing. So use that. I had an agent a few weeks ago who didn't bother to, there was a price escalation and, and there was an appraisal contingency and the agent was working really quickly and thought she was working really, really efficiently but in the end, she never got a written agreement to extend the appraisal contingency, but she had it by text. And I said, okay, that's fine. That's what you would try. And her manager and I were talking and said, that it's what you would try, but that's really for when you go to litigation or that's when you go to arbitration and you have to prove that there was an agreement to extend and then a trier of fact can figure out if there really was. Let's just remember the easiest thing would have been, you know, get the written extension. So. Yeah, absolutely. So if you had to give, you know, one little bit or a piece of advice for success, obviously you've been around it from a young age. Your family now has, it's going on three generations and maybe I'm sure more with, you know, your family. What would that piece of advice to be? How do you survive three generations and still find the success that uh, you're experiencing in your company every day? Yes, we do have this next fourth generation and some of them, including now, two of my children are old enough to get their real estate license. Neither of them have gotten it uh, yet. <laughs> my my daughter just turned 18 over the weekend, so I won't oh, I won't give awesome. her a hard time about not starting that process yet. <laughs> my son, maybe I will. We have our fourth generation is rather large, but I think one of the reasons that we have been able to maintain our success is that we work with really wonderful people and throughout all of Howard Hanna, and we work really hard together. As a family, you know, we say third generation is very, it's unusual for a family business to get to third generation and be successful and have successful relationships. We are really honest with each other and we all know why we're here. When my aunt said, if you want to be here, yes, come, but you have to know you want to be here. Even though we might all get our real estate licenses and there are many of us in the third generation, there are six of us and it ranges from my cousin Hobie who lives in Ohio My cousin Duffy um, runs the mortgage and title businesses in all the states. He's also a lawyer. My cousin Kelly, she was an agent and then a manager and then a regional. And now she's running relocation. Just, you know, I think we prove to those people that we work with that there's also mobility in your, within Howard Hanna. And then there's myself and my cousin Dennis, who lives in Virginia and he's a state president there. And my cousin Helen, who's younger, but she's, agent. And I think all of us are trying to work in each part of the business. Um, So not only do we understand it, but we're honest with each other. And I think, you know, really my aunt, my uncle and my mother still work. So it's not like we can let, it's not like we can let anybody down or, you know, it's not like we can drop the ball. We have to follow their example. And we've been taught to do that too. And we want to do that. And so not to say that we all, you know, we don't have our squabbles, but also within those is the honesty of why, you know, maybe we think something should be different. So it, we are, we are open, transparent, and we are honest with each other. 
Yeah, that's awesome. And I know you said before when we chatted in previous conversations, you know, it's not for everybody, but you guys have found the secret sauce and it, and it seems to be working. And congratulations on hopefully uh, four generations um, of success. And I'm sure the future is bright there, especially with you all being so dedicated and hardworking as you are. So Annie, thank you so much for joining me today. And thank you for sharing a little bit of insight in your world and your family history. It was truly a pleasure. And I know that our listeners are going to enjoy hearing all that you have shared with us today. So thank you so much for being here. Well, thanks, Allison. This is truly one of the greatest industries, I think. So um, for everyone who is working in it or maybe interested in working in it, it's just, it's unique and it's uh, every day is changing. So every day is changing. No dull moments in real estate. No, it's good stuff though. It's all good stuff. Absolutely. Well, thank you again, Annie, and to our listeners. Thank you guys for tuning in and we will see you next week. Thank you for listening to The Real View. That wraps up today's episode. You can keep up with the latest on the podcast at ohiorealtors.org slash The Real View and on Apple or Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Have questions, comments, or suggestions? We want to hear from you email us at podcast at ohiorealtors.org. We'll see you next time. This has been a Humble Pod production. Stay humble.